0: Welcome to BIV today, the daily business news podcast from Business and Vancouver newspaper and BIV.com. I'm Tyler Orton. Now, look, amid the revocation of a cannabis license at one producer's operations and a regulatory probe into another producer, Tanalyst Labs CEO Dan Sutton, he's gonna come in and talk to us about the due diligence and compliance concerns his industry is navigating right now. Then later on, Glue Technology Society's Linda Fawkes and GOAT's Terence Sautel, He's they're both going to join BIV's weekly technology panel to discuss maybe kind of the, the FOMO culture of Amazon's Prime Day. We dive deep into what we're in the market for and whether we're actually going to be buying anything. And then we're going to talk a little bit about maybe Facebook's cryptocurrency efforts and whether or not it's really just a PR stunt gone bad. But first, let's kick it off with Dan Sutton. So an eventful few weeks for the cannabis regulatory regime here in Canada between CanTrust Holdings halting sales amid a probe by Health Canada and Agrima Botanicals, which is based right here in British Columbia, having its license revoked completely. Ottawa looks like it's clamping down on companies it has concerns over. With us today to break down the complexities of the compliance and regulations the cannabis industry must navigate. It is Dan Sutton, CEO of Tantalus Labs. Dan, great to have you back on the show as always. Glad to be here. Okay. So we found out this week that uh, Agrima Botanicals has had its license completely revoked over concerns about what Health Canada described as, quote, unauthorized activities with its products. I don't know, Dan, what does a licensed producer essentially have to be up to if you're ending up in a worst case scenario for any company?
1: Well, this is a really interesting case. And, and ultimately, any insight that I can share is is speculative because I don't know the company intimately. Um But originally what was described was uh, a a complication around paperwork. They hadn't filed uh, the correct regulatory obligation that they had to suggest how much cannabis they had in their facility or, or what kind of cannabis products. But I think the severity of the implications of a license revocation, they really require uh, some, some pretty intense misdeeds. And so we can probably glean that it's, it's likely that the company uh, was either producing cannabis in an illicit fashion or, or had cannabis on hand that it wasn't, Uh, wasn't describing to the regulator transparently. And yeah, I think uh, an an instance where we can now point to the real implications of missteps, if you don't comply with your regulatory obligations, which are complex and do require a substantial amount of our quality assurance and operational bandwidth, then Health Canada, in the most severe circumstances, will revoke your license. And this was unprecedented to the state.
0: So uh, you know better than I do, but Health Canada, throughout the entire inspection processes that we've been seeing over the years, they're incredibly diligent, though. And I'm just curious from your perspective, what must be going on through kind of the, the brains of CEOs right now if they're seeing that Health Canada is clamping down it must be i I don't think it's going to have some sort of you know chilling effect on the industry but the industry must be aware that they are and have always been quite serious about these regulations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there it's it's easy to get down the kind of entrepreneurial mind that The regulator will be okay with us. They want us to succeed. Health Canada is not here to ensure the success of industry or the success of individual firms. And ultimately it is absolutely on the operator, on the producer to be able to control their own destiny in terms of being seen by the regulator to be uh, an effectively transparent and, um, you know, adhering to what is the highest regulatory standard on earth today. So, When I look at a situation like this, I won't say that it drastically affects our take on regulatory compliance because Labs has always anchored our company in effective and in some cases exceptional regulatory compliance where we're helping collaborate with the regulator and guide them towards more effective oversight of what it is that we're doing. I think there was a misconception upon legalization and when we transitioned to the Cannabis Act, that Health Canada was going to loosen everything up and it was going to be easier. Now there are different license classes now uh, that have different regulatory burdens. Certainly becoming a micro uh, cultivator is, is substantially simpler and substantially less cost intensive than becoming a standard licensed producer. Um, but the regulatory sophistication that those inspectors bring has done nothing but become enhanced. It's, it's, they get smarter every time they come, they get more insightful. They've seen now hundreds of cultivation operations and uh, they, they really want to ensure that baked into this legalization, this Canadian legalization thesis is strong, consistent quality assurance that is auditable and is controlled ultimately by health Canada.
0: So we look at what investors did with this company and their investments no more. I If this happens to a company, is that it for maybe the people at the top with regards to any sort of future in this industry? Or is there any room for maybe a a bit of a comeback here? I'm just trying to look at maybe... I don't know, picking up the pieces at some point, whether you're an investor or some sort of executive.
1: Well, the investors will live to fight another day. I, I hope that nobody bet the farm uh, on, on sure. that operation. Um, but in, in terms of Operational credibility. If you have a license revoked, it really is a statement that Health Canada is suggesting that you acted nefariously or probably did something illegal. And uh, in that eventuality, I think it would be very hard. I, I I'm certainly not in the in the hiring market for any executives that came came from a firm that uh, you know apparently blatantly disregarded Health Canada's regulations.
0: Yeah, and the other thing that we should mention here, um, Ontario-based CanTrust Holdings, what had designs on you know expanding here in British Columbia as well, but again, they're undergoing a regulatory probe by Health Canada as well. There was even stories, uh, reports from the Global Mail that uh, said that they were maybe building fake walls to hide unlicensed growing rooms here. If that is true, and again, this is just based on other media reports. I, I mean, what is? going on in the brains of maybe uh, some of the executives there if they're pursuing unlicensed production?
1: Yeah, it's, it's, that's a, such an interesting question because when I look at the value of Tantalus Labs, I see, you know, so much value attributed to our ability to participate in this market. It is a sophisticated marketplace and to become a standard licensed producer or, a, you know, a scaled LP, it requires overcoming a substantial barrier to entry. And so if, nefarious activities. And and there's obviously a long, a long, uh, process due process to go through to find out exactly sort of who is in on uh, what was ultimately production in cannabis production of cannabis in unlicensed rooms rooms that hadn't been approved by health Canada yet and that may have very well started as saying oh health Canada is a little bit behind you know we can we can probably do this and they'll they'll be fine with it and they need more cannabis product in the market and everybody kind of getting into a mob mentality about you know this isn't such a bad idea well we'll see what how bad of an idea it was, and I think we've seen a lot from from their management that suggests, so oh, we weren't involved. this was uh, you know people people within the middle management layer that were doing things. well, if you don't have the oversight on your own company to understand when cannabis is being produced at a substantial volume beyond your licensed capacity, that is an, an a, at the very least an admission of negligence, and I think one small lie can so easily compound. That's really what we're looking at here is people got behind an idea and they, they they probably underestimated the negative implications and then they sort of needed to start to cover it up. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how it unfolds. My heart goes out to those operators and that management team uh, and also their finance teams. I know, I know a lot of highly credible Canadian and financial institutions that have banked on CanTrust uh, and th- this would have been very difficult to find out in, in due diligence, but it, it just goes to show that, you know, even even the most credible, high-profile, large-licensed producers are susceptible uh, to s- – to occasional short-term thinking.
0: So a few moments ago, you brought up the word transparency. And one of the critiques that we've been seeing with regards to the CanTrust deal is the CEO has been more or less kind of radio silent. He did pop up uh, on Instagram very briefly to make you know one quick statement. Uh, what is your opinion? If you are hypothetically navigating a situation like this, uh, do you have to be much more upfront with regards to the public as well as your investors explaining what's going down?
1: Yeah, I, I mean- Peter Aceto is a, a, a marquee CEO. He was the CEO of Tangerine Bank for a long time. He's He's been known as a highly effective steward of capital and, and a highly credible win for CanTrust to get him onto their management team. And it's... it's if, if he was involved or deeply involved in this scenario, I think it would, it would shock investors. It would probably shock the Canadian public because of his historical credibility. And that's certainly the message that he's adamantly sticking to is that, like, there's more to come on this story. And so I would imagine that he is just really taking his time to ensure his legal ducks are in a row before he comes out and tells his side of the story, which we're all sort of awaiting with bated breath. Um, what would I do if I was in his circumstance? Uh, well, I would never, ever get into a circumstance where I was unaware of illicit cannabis being cultivated at town Labs or, you know, at any facility that we were associated with. Uh, I like to think, but yeah, I think you, you do have to be prudent. There's really no reason to rush. And ultimately, if he has a deeper story to tell, he has to make sure that that story is, is, is on side before he comes, comes public with it.
0: How do you prevent this from happening at your own company? How do you ensure that Tantalus Labs is in full compliance with the regulatory regimes and you never find yourself in this situation?
1: I think it's about effective alignment of incentives. Ultimately, if we go to our operators and say, above all without any consideration of cost you must augment productivity you must grow your yields you must increase the productivity and the ability for us to generate revenue then they're they're misincentivized they're disincentivized to think long term they're ultimately incentivized to do whatever it takes uh, even you know f- come coming a coming a foul of the regulator to actually get cannabis to market and I, I can understand how those pressures happen because there's just such a rabid demand for cannabis with so few firms being able to produce it. Um, but ultimately, we have a culture that that considers the long term. I guess I'm lucky that I'm I'm relatively young and I have a long time horizon in both my my investment and operational career. And I really want to be doing this in 10 years' time. And so that means that first and foremost, regular regulatory compliance needs to be a baseline. Tanalyst Labs has evolved our regulatory compliance strategy, and we've had to figure out how to streamline it to some degree because it's it is such a complex um, barrier for, for so many of these firms. But as we evolve those processes, ensuring that the regulator understands that we we you know we want to both comply with current standards while also helping them evolve and helping them collaborate on on new changes and, and new adaptations. Uh, that I think needs to come first and foremost in, in any strategy. And so I like to think that it would be very difficult with the incentives coming back to how we grow a, a, an exciting and robust business over over the long term, over a 10-year time horizon, shared among all of the executives and all the operators in our camp. I, I like to think that that would prevent, you know, even even – erring towards regulatory risk um, but it's something we always you know i think self-evidently in, in this situation we we need to check in with more consistently and ensure that health canada knows that the the firms that it's licensed are acting on, on side
0: okay well dan i look forward to never seeing you on a list of companies that uh, have had any of these issues uh moving forward but uh, i want to thank you for joining us on the show thanks so much that's dan sutton ceo of Tanless labs stay with us the biv tech panel is going to join us right after this And joining us today for the BIV tech panel, it is Linda Focus CEO of Glue Technology Society, and Darren Sattel. He's the founder of Vancouver-based GOAT. I want to thank both of you guys for joining us on the show today.
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for having us.
0: Okay, so Amazon Prime, uh, we're just wrapping up later on today, midnight. It's when it's officially over, and it's actually running two days today. So here's my first question for both you guys. Are you buying anything? Are you in the market for anything right now? Are you at least kind of thumbing through what's on sale? I looked at one car part and it went up in price the next
3: day. So it was ah. on, pr- it was like a good deal for about 45 minutes. And a few of my friends caught it and bought it. And then I missed out. But I generally don't I, get too involved in the hype. Yeah, I you- looked
2: for printer paper just to see if it was cheap. significant yeah. purchase
0: you were trying to make there. right
2: <laughs> and it was not cheaper than normal so I moved on fair enough but uh Terrence I gotta ask
0: though are you regretting not making that purchase at this point oh no
3: regrets at all okay. I didn't need it I needed like a hole in the head yeah <laughs> I, I got two fair I got a garage full of car parts that probably should get used before I buy anymore but it's one of those things where if it's a good deal you feel like you have to get it
0: so. yeah uh, my favorite headline that I've seen so far is I think it went something along the lines of uh Amazon celebrates its monopoly with uh, Amazon Prime Day. So it just kind of sums it all up there. But uh, th- there's interesting story that uh, came across in CNBC, and they're talking about the whole FOMO factor, fear of missing out, just the psychology that is kind of in play here. Is that really key? Does it even matter if there are like great deals to be had, Linda? Is it just a matter of psychology on the consumer perspective if they believe that there could be good deals, and what happens if they miss out?
2: Yeah, I think um, there is – a legitimate fear of missing out for people who have gained uh, deals in previous years, Who for people who want to get some value out of their Prime membership, just outside of the Prime video experience, perhaps. Um, and I think what we're seeing, though, is we've got this huge push towards this, you know celebrating this as a holiday, if you can even believe that, but also combined with some really sophisticated um, technology that it modifies our behavior, right? It's a bit like gambling when you're on there. You can unlock cheap deals with Alexa. If you're on at the right time, you might get a cheap deep deal on parts so they're really maneuvering our behavior towards um, purchasing of course and to wanting to participate you know kicking it all off with the really lame Taylor Swift concert with Jane Lynch doing such a yeoman's job high-fiving everybody about Prime Day and you got Kobe Bryant pushing deodorant and Will Smith selling water and uh, so yeah I think we're looking at What did someone say? The particle accelerator of of retail. We're just crashing all this stuff together and pushing us all into participating, trying to push us into participating and purchasing. Lots of fear of manufactured fear of missing out. Terrence, uh,
0: Linda brings something up that's kind of interesting to me. It's like there's almost this kind of coolness factor associated with Amazon that I don't know if Walmart is ever going to get there, for example. Has Amazon kind of tapped into something or is it just more of this kind of... um, I don't know. Public at large, it's just the the mall you go to no matter what. Everybody still has to shop at the mall somehow.
3: Yeah. I mean, it does remind me of, um, you know, when EA Sports started launching games that had rewards in them and, you know, loot boxes and stuff like that. I think Amazon's trying to tap into that same psychological behavior. Um, the The problem with, you know, I mean, Amazon holds, I don't know the exact number, but it's 40 to 50% of online purchases are done on Amazon. Walmart's in the 2 to 3% range. You know, Walmart's still a big player, but for them to even try to create brand participation like Amazon does, I just don't think anybody can take them seriously. There's just too much baggage. It's too much bad press, but Walmart, even though their e-commerce solution rivals it. So their brand just doesn't have it. They don't have that, uh, that feel of, uh, you know, you know, being tech forward and trying to push boundaries. Um, You don't see them opening stores, you know, or sorry, opening the automated stores to, you know, I think that's where Amazon can kind of, you know, always finds that next thing is because they're, they've always been known as that, that, that pusher of technology and, and and maybe not things that are going to be guaranteed to work, but they just seem to do it. And I mean, it kind of bothers me. Like we're this ultimate age of consumerism and, it's just a, a very unsustainable,
0: not healthy. You'd rather hit thing. up maybe like a local, like uh, retailer or something like that.
3: I mean, it depends on the product. I mean, okay. I, I'd be a hypocrite to say I didn't use it. We use it sure. for all of our office purchases. Um, you know, there's certain things that are convenience based products or especially quantized products like paper and mm-hmm. stuff that like you just don't want to drive to, you know, the, the staples of, of the city to get. But when it comes to specialty things, like I, I, I and, and the, and the fact that they're creating this participation in their brand by, by creating contests and using Alexa and at these certain times, it's the radio station effect too. Like I got to listen to the radio (laughs) until, until that contest comes on. And if I don't, I'm going to miss out, but what are you missing out on? And I think to me, that's my biggest gripe is it's, it's really creating this and pushing this feeling of consumerism and unnecessary purchasing that just hasn't, it's just, I think it's just bad for people's psych. It's like, yeah. You know,
2: and I think this cool kid factor really comes into play because Amazon's got Prime Studio, right? So they've got pull into the the brand, celebrity brands we are watching and we care about. So they can mm-hmm. pull these people in to make it feel like we're all part of this this uh, where the cool kids are hanging out. Walmart is definitely not going to make no. that happen anytime soon.
0: Yeah. I'm not sure if I'll be watching Walmart TV uh, when it eventually <laughs> uh, launches. Uh, I don't know. If it feels it's- a lot
2: like QVC or something yeah. probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think
3: you're dealing with, you've got a hundred years of brand to unwind if Walmart ever tried to go there yeah. because your brand has always been cheap, save, sale, the place where you can bring your family and save that $8 that you should save. And Amazon's net like it's always been about affordability, but it's never been their main push. It's always been about convenience and Amazon prices aren't always the best. But with prime shipping, they make it about convenience and participation as opposed to Walmart's cheap sales. Uh, Just it'll never happen. And that's why this
2: will be a win for them, because they're going to have prime members see same day shipping. And go. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. One day shipping. Yeah, okay, that's pretty cool. You can so, get. I, I
3: get it now, in Vancouver. Yeah. You, like, it's even if you select two day shipping, sometimes it's one day. See, yeah. Yeah, I'm even fanning boy about it. Like yeah. It's, I know. It's. It's. I mean, you can't. You can't fault them for being strong business people, and I just. You know, I think there's.
0: The coolness factor to me is is a bit of a bother. Well, I'm in the market for some wallpaper right now, and I have to admit that I was actually on Amazon yesterday and uh, just seeing like what they
2: might have available. Do they me. have wallpaper? They
0: do. They really Of course actually they would have, have wallpaper. wallpaper. Is it yeah.
2: is it any is it something you would actually buy? It was I, yes because it's actually stuff Get that looked out. kind of like
0: unique at like a uh, like faux brick. You know? Oh, mm-hmm. cool. Like, okay, that that could work in my place.
2: Wallpaper. That's so retro of yeah, you. I know. So, <laughs>
0: But um, it's, uh, not to get into the weeds too much, but there's like this one part of my wall that has this distinct sur- surface that I needed, like, just, it's not working for me. So I was looking at like, maybe wallpaper, like removable cool. wallpaper. It will work. never
3: look as good as the photos. I'm warning you right now. I, I appreciate yeah.
0: that, yeah. So uh, guys, uh, jumping over to another one of the tech giants here, uh, because this morning, the US congressional hearings began into Facebook's uh, designs on, say, the Libra cryptocurrency. It's been getting a Fairly cool reception in Washington so far after the announcement about a month ago. But one analyst, uh, Lisa Ellis from Moffat Nathanson, she's telling Bloomberg, maybe it's just a PR stunt that's gone bad. I'm wondering from your perspective, like, uh, Linda, does this seem like this splashy effort that went down a month ago? Is it just kind of exhibiting maybe a sign of tone deafness on the part of Facebook with regards to all the privacy concerns that are going on? And they're doing like this big global media glitz to, I don't know, br- blitz uh, to bring attention onto what they're doing with crypto.
2: I used to think Facebook's missteps were tone deafness. Uh, when they launched Portal amidst all those privacy concerns last year, seemed incredibly tone deaf. And now, what I believe it's just Facebook marching towards their goals, n- no matter what's falling behind them. So they they're marching towards Libra. They need to show some sort of uh, revenue flow coming from something other than advertising, and Libra Calibra can do that for them. So I think they're they've given themselves a one year ramp up to the launch of Libra, and Libra will happen, in my opinion, no matter what the president thinks about cryptocurrency or its or the people who are naysaying it right now. They will fall in with the regulators. I believe they'll create a currency that can be used, and it's going to give revenue uh, to Facebook in a way that is unprecedented. And Facebook needs that. They're coming up to their uh, quarterly earnings report. They need to show a story. So I don't think it's tone deafness. I think this is just the way Zuckerberg's company is going to roll. We actually don't care what you say. We are going to roll out what we want to roll out, and let's all get back to work. That's my take on
0: it. Yeah, Terrence, I mean, we can dig our knives into, say, Facebook as much as we want, but I'm wondering, like, does the general public even care that much? We see all these privacy issues, and, and we can critique it, but I, I people keep using Facebook, and people are almost kind of addicted to it at this point. They don't care. Yeah. We care
3: because we work in this sector, but I still use it, so I'm a hypocrite too, right? I mean- the 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 reality is is until it impacts your life, in person and in in a way that you feel like you see or feel or it's tangible, people will say they care but they won't do anything about it. Um, and Facebook knows this. Um, you know they've never been apologetic about their actions. You know they'll be apologetic if they've done something seriously wrong, especially with um, you know with the issues over the you know the election and stuff. I think that was a big misstep, but. They 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 are where they are because they
0: are unapologetic. It's always those uh I'm sorry if your feelings were hurt sort of Yeah, but too bad. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean it wasn't me it's you. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> yeah. get over it, right? I think and
3: I I I mean from a privacy perspective I think we're in an age now where if you don't have anything to hide don't worry about it. But that being said, personal data is People are putting a lot of weight on it because they think it impacts. It, it's it's about them, but it's not. It's about usage and it's about behaviors, not attached to your name. Right. And I think that's and your and your personal, in your real personal information. For example, I unfortunately recently had my identity stolen and 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 in used. And people will leave their wallet out, and not worry about it, yet they freak out over Facebook data problems. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like that, You leaving your card out in the open or your wallet out in the open for someone just to grab it, it's going to have far more impact on your personal life than some digital pixels. Um, But yet, because the press wants to grab something, they're going to grab it and run with it. Um, What shocks me about the crypto, about Libra, is Facebook's never been one to announce something that isn't done yet. And it's the first time they've done this you know, when Facebook workplace came out, the product was built and tested for a year. Uh, I I don't know if that's exactly right, but I felt like it, um, and it's the first time they've launched a product without it being done. And I, I find that really weird. I find it strange that they went so hard at it without a beta product. It's just not like them.
0: Do you think it's just because they know of the regulatory regime that they're going to have to navigate, you know, in the United States? Yeah. I mean, I I don't know what else they can do at this point.
3: Yeah. I mean, they're not one to follow rules. Yeah, that's true. um, But you're dealing with a different beast when it comes to finance. And and they
2: must know they're going up against all the fiat currencies. They're going up against nations. So they obviously knew we're going to need a ramp up. I love that (laughs) they gave themselves 12 months. Yeah. That's really cute. It's like, wow. and and probably it'll work just fine. They're they're just going to mow down the concerns. They'll fall in line where they need to, and we will see Libra. Maybe not twelve months for now, well, but you'll see a Calibra app on your phone. I'm guessing. In the next 24 months.
0: And on that note about just kind of mowing things down, those uh, the U.S. Federal Trade Commission, they issued them a $5 billion fine. It was a record-setting fine as <laughs> regards to their privacy concerns uh, stemming from Facebook. And, and the, the issue was, though, shares surged. Facebook shares surged because the market saw that it was more of a slap on the wrist. It's, it's a record-setting fine, but I mean, it's almost a rounding error of $5 billion for Facebook uh, at this point. Is it almost kind of like Facebook's just going to shrug privacy concerns off moving forward, Linda?
2: Cost of doing business. They have twenty-three billion dollars in the bank. Five billion is like okay. They they plan to have three to five billion. They put three to five billion aside for this contingency. It happened. Yeah. Um, I think this is just the cost of doing business. Google's probably um, breathing a sigh of relief as well. And and the, the stipulations that go around with this fine aren't that onerous. They're just going to have to hire a few more lawyers to make sure what, we're, what they're doing before product launches falls in step with the agreement. Um, so it's very disappointing. It did fall. I think it's important to note that the vote did fall along party lines, right? Three to two was the vote, three Republican votes, two Democratic votes, the Democrats Allegedly pushing hard for a higher fine, so the election coming up will tell us, show us the new landscape for Facebook to deal in. But I'm guessing all the big techs are pretty happy.
0: Yeah. yeah, does this set a bad precedent, Terrence? Uh, if other companies see ah eh, five billion dollars, I can probably stomach that down the road.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't. There's it does set a bad precedent. There isn't very many tech companies that could stomach that kind of fine. You know, there's only you know maybe ten that could really do it, and I'd say only four of those are. Are ones that are gonna have those type of data issues. I think the that the hard thing to stomach is just how ignorant and uneducated the US political system is on what they're talking about. And it's just like back to when they were interviewing Zuckerberg, it was embarrassing. It was so bad to watch because you're just like you you're so disconnected with reality that like this is this is who is making decisions on these
2: finds you know glue glue deals with people born before 1964 and i felt like i should be down there just going okay everybody <laughs> we need to have a a really long yeah. intensive <laughs> deep dive into what is social media because you're right they just don't get that's it that's
3: what it highlights to me it's just the yeah. sheer ignorance and and it's it, it made uh, for yeah. a
0: great highlight reel when uh, we got to see that at to, the end of the, oh, day of all the questions being asked yeah
3: Burk, but, well and the best part of it, i think the 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 five billion dollar fine, I mean the stock going up, I think that's just a reaction of like, oh phew, it wasn't that much. Cool, yeah. I'm gonna buy it now. There was a lot of probably people holding on, waiting um, you know, to make to make large, you know, transactions with the stock, um, waiting on this fine and this this judgment to come down. So I mean, it's it's I don't know if the stock price going up is like the reflection of or setting bad precedent. I think that's just the nature of the stock market when there's there's a there's a lot of bad press potentially coming out about somebody, They're going to hold off on any movement of of a, of, a, of a stock. I don't know the you know the movement numbers, but yeah, I mean five billion dollars. I mean I got a twenty in my pocket and I can give it to you. That's pretty much what Facebook feels like. Here you go.
2: Well, <laughs> and you know the. the- the fine before that, what was it for Google? Twenty two and a half million. Oh, that's so that amazing. was like wow, what? And now it's five billion. I think now, hopefully, this is going to show, especially with people yeah. complaining, that all right, we now need to look at the uh, value, the the amount of the fine needs to really be punitive, right? This is meant yeah. to discourage behavior, not be a, a you know yet another little I just, small slap. I, on I, the I the wonder earth. if
3: money is what does is what what's going to stop them because they're smarter than Congress.
2: I think only money will stop them. I think it needs, as Kara Swisher said in her op-ed, two more zeros on the end of it. That would stop them. Sure. (laughs) Okay.
0: Well, I guess the lesson (laughs) that we can take away from uh, today's segment is – those tech giants are pretty much controlling our lives and there's really not much we can do about it. So. The only thing you can do is stop using it and if you do that then you're doing good. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. All right, well, but uh, Linda, Terrence, thank you guys both for joining us on the show. Have a good day. Hey, cheers, uh, Tyler, cheers. That is Linda Fawkes. She's CEO of Glue Technology Society and Terrence Sautel. He is founder of Vancouver Based Goat and that is it for today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. You can find our archives on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Share with friends. It's going to help us reach more people. For now, I'm Tyler Orton. Thanks for listening.